Is the largest fire in New Mexico's history still burning? And what's the UK's first student-written proposed bill about? Welcome to the Climate Recap from the Beckensphere Climate Corner, your go-to place for international and U.S.-based climate news. I'm Becky Hogue, a science writer. Today is Tuesday, July 26th. Let's jump right into the news you need to start your day. Let's start with some extreme weather events. The Greenland ice sheet suddenly picked up its melting rate last week, dropping 18 billion tons of water into the North Atlantic in just three days. That's enough water to fill 2.4 million Olympic-sized swimming pools. Put another way, it was the equivalent of covering all of West Virginia in four inches of water per day for a total depth of one foot. Greenland is one of the main contributors to annual sea level rise. As an Axios article says, quote, The rate and extent of ice loss there in the next few decades and beyond will determine the fate of coastal cities from Hong Kong to Miami. This isn't the largest melting session scientists have seen in the last few decades, but it's part of the increasing melting rate that we've seen particularly since 2012. On the other side of the North American continent, Alaska is battling 500 forest fires. It's been this way all summer, with an area the size of Connecticut already charred. Smoke has traveled hundreds of miles. Alaska doesn't usually burn like this, but it's been especially hot and dry there this year. Most of the wildfires are started by lightning, which might become more common as climate change messes with the jet stream. Most of the fires haven't impacted property or people being in the Alaskan wilderness. There was a bit of rain recently, which helped dampen the blazes. What's scary is that Alaska is now following what happened in 2004, when July rains gave way to a high-pressure system, resulting in hot days, low humidity, and more lightning. This caused the worst forest fire season in Alaska's recent history. Fire seasons like this are becoming more common. A little further south, Washington, Oregon, Idaho, and very northern California are entering into a potentially record heat wave, reaching about 5 to 10 degrees Fahrenheit above average for this time of year. Many places are in high heat advisories. Portland will get up to 103 degrees Fahrenheit today, and Weed, California is expected to get to 104 degrees Thursday. Like in the case of the UK, most places this far north don't have air conditioning because they're not used to getting this hot. The risk of wildfires is real, as we're in the worst drought in 1,200 years. Continuing down the coast, we have a new fire near Yosemite National Park. The Oak Fire started on Friday and has grown significantly since then to become the biggest fire California has seen this year. More than 6,000 people have had to evacuate, and the fire has burned 10 homes so far. Mariposa County declared a state of emergency. It's in the upper 90s there, too. If this is giving you deja vu, it's because the Washburn fire is still continuing to burn in Yosemite National Park. That one began burning July 7th and is now 87% contained. This all reminded me to check back on the New Mexico fire because I haven't seen that one in the news for a while. As a recap, the Hermit's fire started in mid-April after a National Park Service-controlled burn went rogue. This happened because the service didn't properly account for climate change in their decision-making. The fire proceeded to get fueled by hot drought conditions and whisked by severe winds until it eventually merged with the Calf Canyon fire in the state. It then became the largest fire in New Mexico's history. According to NCWeb, it's currently 93% contained. The federal government is paying for the firefighting effort because it was started by a federal agency, but it's unclear who's paying for the damage and reconstruction after. And, just as predicted, the vegetation void space left by the fire has provided perfect conditions for flash flooding. 
Two people died and one went missing in northern New Mexico last week as heavy floods pounded the area. Some places got more than an inch per hour. The potential for more rain and flash floods continues into this week. Now let's look at some climate studies. Climate change is increasing inequality within countries, according to a new study published in the journal World Development. The Italian researchers looked at inequality in more than 150 countries from 2013 to 2017 by controlling for large income disparities. They paid particular attention to the agriculture sector, which they identified to be one of the areas most likely to show a climate change inequality nexus. They found that temperature changes and precipitation fluctuations significantly increased inequality in a region. They found that countries that rely on agriculture more heavily to satiate their economies are more likely to see this inequality grow. Here's a jargon-filled quote from the study. Quote, we found that opening economies to foreign capital flows exacerbates inequality in some circumstances, especially when cross-border investment inflows are accompanied by hyper-specialization in selected growth value chain activities. Conversely, a greater diversification of incoming foreign direct investment across value-adding functions, enabling economies to expand their domestic capabilities by leveraging complementarities along value chains, emerges as a resilience-enhancing factor which mitigates within-country inequity. And then another study, this one published in the journal Nature Climate Change, found that climate change will actually make it harder for the world's poorest to even migrate. This is because they don't even have the resources to migrate. The authors found that in a medium emission scenario, there will be a 10% decrease in migration among the lowest income groups by the end of the century. In high emission scenarios, the study found a 35% drop in migration. Now, this won't mean that climate change won't increase migration because it will. More than 3% of the human population migrated internationally in 2020 to flee persecution, join family, or find economic opportunity, and climate change is a growing reason why people have to move. Climate change is already destabilizing parts of the world and drying up work. I'm not sure what's worse, having the ability to at least try to migrate and being turned around at the border, or being too resource-stricken to even move out of a dire situation in the first place. Okay, we need a climate victory after that or in this case, a climate protest. A few young climate activists from last generation glued their hands to the protective glass of the Botticelli Primavera painting in Florence, Italy. They used their hands to hold up a sign saying, last generation, no gas, no coal. The group said they consulted with art historian experts to figure out the best way to glue themselves to the painting. The group said in a statement, quote, Fires, food crises, and drought make it increasingly difficult. We decide to use art to sound an alarm call. We are heading towards social and eco-climate collapse. They were whisked away by the police. This form of protest is similar to that done by the UK Just Stop Oil campaigners who earlier this month glued their hands to the 500-year-old version of Da Vinci's Last Supper painting in London's Royal Academy. Other climate activists had glued themselves to the John Constable Hay Wayne painting in the National Gallery on a different day. We have one climate fail today. Industrial soy production is causing a deforestation spike in southeastern Brazil, according to a new report by the NGO Amazon Conservation. The report was based on satellite data provided by the University of Maryland and the World Resources Institute's Global Forest Watch platform. 
There have been over 100,000 acres or 42,000 hectares of deforestation since 2020 that can be directly attributed to the soy industry. This increase could be due to an industrial effort to lower soybean prices, which have risen dramatically since 2020 due to several factors and are only dropping in price in the last few months. Brazil contains the most deforested part of the Amazon due to lax and corporate-friendly government regulations by the Bolsonaro regime. The Amazon is an essential ecosystem for sucking up and storing carbon, as well as regulating weather patterns in the surrounding areas. It might impact areas as far up as Mexico and the U.S. If the Amazon continues to be deforested at this rate, it will become a savanna and a carbon source instead of a sink. It is also a biodiversity hub. Here's the kicker. The soy industry is basically an extension of the meat and dairy industry because more than three-fourths of soy is used to feed livestock. Only 7% is used for things like tofu, soy milk, and tempeh, so don't feel bad about continuing to use those meat and dairy alternatives. Let's finish today's episode on a high note. 18-year-old British climate campaigner Scarlett Westbrook wrote the first student-written bill for Parliament to change the Education Act to require climate change to be taught in all subjects. Currently, the GCSE requires climate change to be taught in geography and science, but Westbrook says that's not enough. For one thing, geography is not even a required course. She says, quote, Climate change isn't just about natural history. It's about people. It's about economics, politics, history, and arts. And we need to learn that, too. Teachers have echoed this sentiment. A recent study by Teach the Future found that 51% of teachers don't think their subject teaches about climate change in a meaningful or relevant way. And this could hinder students' understanding of the job market they'll enter into. The UK government promised to provide 480,000 green jobs by 2030. These could be in the form of solar panel engineers or sustainability managers. It's also important to increase education on climate change in grade school, not because kids should be expected to solve the issue, but because kids can influence their parents. A study published in May found that parents of kids who learned about climate change in school were more likely to increase their concern and awareness of the issue. The change was the most drastic among fathers and conservative parents. So it's like a trickle-up education. Labor PM Nadia Whittam, the youngest MP at age 25, worked with Westbrook on constructing this bill. I'll let you know if this bill goes anywhere. It might actually do well considering it's being supported by a Labor Party member. And that was your climate recap for Tuesday, July 26th. If you like the work I do, please follow this podcast, give it a five-star rating, leave a review, and consider checking out the Beckosphere Climate Corner YouTube channel. Remember to talk about the climate crisis every single day and to support your local news organizations. Bye for now.